It's uh, really good to be here with you all today. It's good to see your beautiful faces. Um, I, love, I love getting to preach because I just get to look at you guys the whole time, and it's, it's awesome. Uh, today, we're going to be picking up in our Genesis series. We're going to be covering the end of Genesis 11 and then half of Genesis 12, and we're going to really be diving into the life of this guy named Abram. You might be like, Abram, who is that? I've heard of a guy named Abraham, and that sounds kind of similar Well, they are the same person. Um, Abraham was Abram until he got his name changed. And I'm going to do my best to refer to him as Abram. I'm probably going to mess up and accidentally call him Abraham a few times. But the goal is to refer to him as Abram uh, as I preach this morning because that's that's what his name is at this stage in the game. And the big theme that I see in Genesis 12 is that God is all about partnership— He's all about partnership. That's what we're going to be talking about today is this idea of partnership. God makes promises to and partners with broken people. That's just what he does. That's his MO. That is God's method of choice for executing plans on the earth. And I think it's because he's relational, right? That makes sense. God is, God is a relational God. That's why he created us in the first place. And because he's a relational God, when he has something that he wants to get done on the earth, he, he partners with us. And that's really like the, the whole story of the scripture um, is God partnering with broken, imperfect people. He, when, when he has something he wants to do, he finds a man or a woman and he speaks to them and he invites them into his plans. God is a God of partnership. And God wants to partner with you and me. Which is really cool. Like, you, you, you know, we're, ordin- we're just ordinary people. We're flawed. We make mistakes. We're not perfect. But the God of the universe, the creator of all things, partners with us. He partners with, with us to accomplish his will on the earth. He, he partners with us. The God of the universe partners with us to accomplish his will in the lives of the people around you. The God of the universe wants to partner with you to accomplish his will in, in your family, and in your workspace, and in your classes, and on the University of Cincinnati's campus. God partners with us to, to get things done on the earth. And the funny thing is, is like, he's way better at everything than we are. Like, we definitely make things a lot harder. <laughs> right? Like, it, Jesus, for, for example, Jesus would do a way better job preaching this sermon today than I would. You know, he'd be way more articulate. The things that he would say would, would pierce your heart way more than the things that I'm going to say. He'd sound better. He'd probably make you cry. Like, he would do a way better job just showing up and preaching this sermon than I will do today. Yet God chooses to partner with an imperfect, broken, flawed person like me to accomplish his will of communicating truth to you guys. That's so cool. But we're, yeah, we, we are so imperfect. And um, it, it makes me think, as I was thinking about this this week, it made me think of uh, back in the day, my family, we used to go fishing in Canada all the time. Um, this lake called Lake St. Clair. We're a fishing family. Any fishermen out there? People that love fishing? I know Boone likes to fish, yeah. Um, well, we used to go fishing up at Lake St. Clair all the time. And, uh, we, you know, we had a trailer and a boat, and we'd do a lot of bass fishing there. And if you know anything about bass fishing, they really like structure, like, you know, weeds or a wall or some logs in the water. And so what we do is when we when go bass fishing, we had this thing called a trolling motor. And it's like this little fan 
blade that goes in the front of the boat and, and it's quiet and you use the trolling motor to kind of move around structure so that you can catch some bass. And you, you don't want to use the motor because it's too loud, it'll scare all the fish away. And so I remember being a little boy, like six, seven years old, and my dad would invite me every once in a while up to the front of the boat to, to operate the trolling motor. And as a little boy, when my dad asked me to come up to the front of the boat and operate the trolling motor, I would get so excited about that because that's like a big responsibility, you know? Um, and I sucked at it. I was terrible at that. I didn't know what I was doing. It's kind of hard to operate. There's this pedal and you can, your speed can vary and it's really easy to go the wrong direction. I would always go the wrong way and mess it up. I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing, you know? But my dad... There's a, there's a relationship there. You know, my dad loves me, and he wanted to partner with me in that little way to, to accomplish our will of catching bass. Even if I made the process a little bit harder, and I made mistakes and ran us into something that we weren't supposed to run into, like, he would partner with me in that. And I think that's so similar to how God is with us. Even though we're flawed and imperfect and we make mistakes, he partners with us to accomplish his will on the earth, and it's because he's relational. The thing is, and we'll see this um, as we continue to, to cover the life of Abram in Genesis, partnering with God and living in his promises is really challenging, though. It's really hard. It requires a ton of trust. It requires sacrifice. And, and there's a good chance that partnering with God might even lead us into a place where we lose something or we suffer. It, it might make things a little bit harder in our life. But it is so worth it because we're talking about partnering with the God of the universe. Like, what else is there more worth doing in this life than partnering with the God of the universe? So we're going to really dive into Abram and, and kind of see this theme of partnership as we do that. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us and then jump into the word. Father, I, I thank you that you are all about partnership. Thank you that, that even though we're flawed and imperfect and we make mistakes, you choose us to be a part of accomplishing your will on the earth. And, and Father, I just pray today that, that your spirit would come and that you would, you would invite us. And, and, and you've already invited us, actually. I pray that you would just show us the, the invitation you've already given to us to partner with you to, to bring your kingdom to the earth. There's, there's no higher calling that we could be a part of than that. And so, Father, I pray that that's what our lives would become about, is, is partnering with you to bring your kingdom here to the earth. pray that you would, you would speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, I'm going to run through this story. I'm going to give you some, some Jonathan commentary as I do that. Um, and then I'm going to just draw some application that really, like, reinforces this idea that God is all about partnership and even, like, what that looks like. Um, and, and so I'm just going to be working through the scripture part by part. I'd encourage you, if you have a Bible, there will be scripture up on the screen, but like, follow, follow me, okay? Get, get in your, open it up, Genesis 11. We're starting in verse 27. If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to just kind of read along. So I'll read a section, stop and talk about it, and then pick back up and, and keep doing that till we get to the end. So Genesis 11, verse 27 through 32. This is the account of Terah's family line. So actually prior to this, we've just been given this big genealogy that, that takes us from Noah all the way to Terah, who is the father of Abram. This is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. 
the name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So really all we have here is some, some plot development. We get some plot development from the, the author of Genesis. And, and we find out a few details that are kind of important. One, Abram had a brother who died, Haran. His brother passed away. And we get this other detail that, that his wife was barren. And this detail is going to become very important as we continue reading in Genesis. But Abram's wife, Sarai, is barren. And that detail specifically, that would have been really hard in this time. Because in this time, like a successful life, living a successful life in large part meant producing lots of offspring, right? If you had a ton of kids, you did a good job. And Abram couldn't do that because his wife was childless. They couldn't produce children. And so I think part of what we're supposed to see from this is Abram, he was an ordinary dude. Um, and, and he was an ordinary dude that faced some challenges, right? Like his life was surely difficult because of this fact that they couldn't have children. Uh, so let's pick up verse, chapter 12, verse 1. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. We'll stop there. One verse. So the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. So this, this is funny to me, actually, this verse. You're probably like, why is that funny? That's just nothing funny about that. It's funny to me because we don't really get any detail about what Abram was doing immediately before God just shows up and, and speaks. And this would have been crazy, right? Like, Abram didn't have the Bible. We, we, we need to remember that. When, whenever you're reading Scripture, no one that you're reading about, except for the people in the New Testament, they had the Old Testament, but we, we, they didn't have Scripture, right? Abram, all, all he probably had was some stories that had been passed down orally, and we don't really know what he's doing, but all of a sudden, bang, God's there and he's speaking. And, and not only that, but the thing that he speaks to Abram is really, really challenging. He says, Abram, leave your country. Leave everything that you've known. Everything that you're used to, I want you to, to get up and I want you to go. I want you to go to someplace new. And, and what we see happening here is that God is picking the person that he wants to partner with. God is a God of partnership, and we're seeing here that Abram is his dude. Abram is the guy he wants to, to join with and partner with to accomplish his will on the earth. But that starts with Abram having to do something that's really hard. It starts with Abram ha having to, to trust this God that he probably didn't know much about. God just shows up and starts speaking to him. Abram had to trust him. And he had to trust him because the things that, that God asks him to do, like I said, they're really hard and they don't make a lot of sense. Leave your family. Makes no sense in this time, right? Your, your family, like there was safety in numbers and in family. And families, especially in this culture in this time, they, they stayed together and they grew. They wanted to grow as large as they could, right? So that they could have a lot of offspring and so that they could kind of help each other farm and, and take care of their, their sheep and all this stuff. Leave your family. Get up, leave your family. That makes no sense. Move to a new place. That doesn't make a lot of sense. We'll find out in a minute. Abram is 75. He's a 75-year-old he's a man. God shows up, 
says, leave your family, move to a totally new place. Where, you might ask, I don't know. He says, to the land that I will show you, right? And so this is a really hard calling that God is giving Abram, and it's one that did probably did not make much sense to him. And obeying it would require a lot of trust, okay? But so there's this, this command that God gives Abram, but it's followed with a promise. And we'll, we'll read that next. Verse 2. God says that he will make Abram. He says, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. So God is saying to Abraham, get Abram, sorry, Abram, get up, do this really hard thing, but if you do, I'm going to bless you. I'm going I'm to create this covenant with you and invite you into it. And that's what these two verses are. It's a, it's a covenant that God was wanting to make with Abram. And these two verses are really, really important. I would say these are two of probably the most important verses in the Old Testament. This is the, the covenant that God would make with Abram. And, and to be honest, I was really excited to preach this morning because of these two verses. These two verses have really shaped my theology personally, and they, they kind of frame the whole Old Testament. God's choosing Abram as his dude to partner with, and, and this is what the covenant he makes with him is going to look like. And I'm going to break down this covenant into to four parts. So the first part, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. God's promising Abram, I will make you a great nation. Few thoughts on this. One, that's impossible because he's 75 years old and his wife is barren, right? To become a great nation, you need some children. Abram has none and he cannot produce any because his wife is barren. She can't conceive. So it's, that's impossible, and I'm not going to spoil anything, but what we will find out is that God will do a miracle and Abram will get a child. Impossible thing, but God does it because he's faithful to his promise. When God partners with someone and he says he's going to do something, he does it. So God told Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. And, and he did. And, and so Abram had, had a son named Isaac and Isaac had a son named Jacob. And Jacob's name was turned to Israel. And Israel had 12 sons that became the 12 tribes of Israel. And that, that, formed into this nation of Israel that is still around 4,000 years later, right? Since Abram, 4,000 years ago. Because God's faithful to his promise. And I actually believe God is still being faithful to this promise that he made with a man, Abram, 4,000 years ago. Because if you even just think about the nation of Israel, if there is a nation on the earth that... (laughs) It's just so unlikely that they would still exist. It's the nation of Israel. The, the amount of attempts to totally wipe that people group off of the earth, like there have been so many attempts by leaders and empires and, and rulers to remove that people group from the earth over the course of the past 4,000 years, and it has not worked. They've been picked up, pushed out of their land multiple times, and they somehow made their way back, and then it happens again, and they come back, and... Man, they have had a rough history. I encourage you, go to Wikipedia and, and look up persecution of the nation of Israel. It's insane just the, the amount of persecution this nation has gone through. But there's still, there's, still a great na- there's still a nation that's existing on the earth because 
in large part, God is faithful to, to keep his promises. And as, as we'll continue reading um, through the book of Genesis, like, and, you know, even the whole Old Testament, and you look back through history, I really think that there's, there's a spiritual conflict there with the, the nation of Israel, right? Like, the devil understands that God partners with people to accomplish his will on the earth. And the, the enemy absolutely understood and saw that God chose Abram to be his vehicle of, of interaction with the nations of the earth. And so I think that's in large part why, why there's been so much um, attempts to, to just destroy and remove this nation throughout history because there's a, there's a spiritual conflict. So I'll bring it, bring it back, though. God is, is faithful to this promise to make Abram a great nation. He does it, even though it's impossible, and he's still doing it even today. And then he says, I'm going to bless you and make your name great. That's the second part of this, this covenant. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. And I would say God's been faithful to that element of the, the covenant because we're still reading and talking about this dude, Abram, 4,000 years later. And, and as we'll read in Genesis, God definitely blessed this man, and he definitely made his name great. And then, and then God promises protection. He says, Abram, I'm going to bless those who bless you, and I'm going to curse those who curse you. And, and sure enough, I don't want to spoil anything, but as we continue reading in Genesis, God does this. He, he blesses the people that show Abram favor, and the people that don't doesn't end so well for them. <laughs> and then there's this last part of the covenant, and this is the one that I, I'm most excited about, and I'm going to talk about um, for a few minutes. I'm going to bless, he, he promises to bless the world through Abram. He says, through you, all the peoples of the earth will be blessed. This is really important. God is saying, Abram, the, the reason I want to bless you and form this covenant with you is so that you can be a blessing to the, to the nations of the earth. This really shows God's heart. And I, I think sometimes people can be confused when they read the Old Testament. They're like, is something special about Israel? Like, what, are they better than everyone else? Why is God so favorable towards these people? Like, why are they his focus? And it goes back to this point of partnership. God is all about partnership. When he wants to get things done on the earth, he chooses a person or a people to accomplish his will. And he's not just the God of Israel. He's the God of all of the nations. He's the God of the nations. His will is to bless all people on the earth. But it's, it's his intention to do that through Abram. Ab Abram is the vehicle through which he intended to bless the nations of the earth. And this plays out. God is faithful to this part of the promise to bless the nations through this one dude, Abram. But the way that this promise plays out is very different than what you might expect. It's not like Abram and all of his offspring are just awesome and the nation of Israel kills it and does such a good job and is so faithful and God blesses the world through them. That's actually not what happens. They actually fail miserably over and over and over and over again. But God is, is a faithful God. And when he makes a promise and a covenant, he upholds it. He keeps it. And so he did bless the nations of the earth through Abram, but not in the way that you would expect. I was reading the book of John the other day, and in John 8, verse 56, Jesus is speaking to some Jews, and he says, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. That's interesting. Jesus is speaking to Jews, and he says, your father Abraham would rejoice that he would see my day. Why? Because Jesus is the fulfillment of this promise God made to Abraham to bless the nations of the earth through him. And then Jesus says, he, he did see it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, 
I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The reason they tried to pick up stones to throw at him is because Jesus calls himself I am. And I am is a name that God gave himself in the Old Testament. When, when Moses is, is asking, who should I tell the people? Like, who should I say sent me to you? And, and God says, tell, him, tell them that I am sent you to them. It's a name that God gives himself. And so that makes the Jews really angry um, because Jesus is saying that I am God. And he's also saying Abraham would be happy to see me because I'm the fulfillment of this promise that God made with with him long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago. You see, God was faithful to that promise. A long time after Abram died, a young Jewish girl named Mary, who was a virgin and a descendant of Abram, she supernaturally conceived and she gave birth to a boy named Jesus, the son of God who would go on to die for the sins of the world and then raise from the dead and, and do what? He'd, he'd open up a door of salvation to everyone who would choose to believe in him. He offers eternal blessing to all of the peoples of the earth. And so it's crazy. God fulfilled this promise through sending his son who came in the, the line of Abram. God's faithful. He keeps all of his promises. So, so that's the, the covenant that God gave with Abram. And, and so there's this challenge, get up, leave the, the place that you're from, your family, go to this new place that I'll show you. And if you do, here's this, this covenant I'll enter into with you. So, so what does Abram do? Picking up in verse 4, it says, So Abram went as the Lord had told him. Man, I love that. Like, so Abram went as the Lord had told him. God gave him this really hard challenge. What does he do? He, he, he goes as the Lord had told him. Man, may we be people that go as the Lord tells us. He obeyed. He obeyed the command that God gave him. It says, so Abraham, Abram went, and the, as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old. 75. It's crazy. He was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions that they'd accumulated, and the people that they'd acquired in Haran, and they set, set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. So what did Abram do? He obeyed. He obeyed God. He did what God asked him to do. And I'm sure it didn't make sense. I'm sure it was hard. I'm sure he had tons of questions. I'm sure he had doubts. But he obeyed God. And this leads to a really important point. For Abram and also for us, partnership with God requires obedience. It requires obedience. God clearly loved Abram because, you know, he chose him. God wanted to use Abram. But just because, you know, he loved him and, and wanted to use him, it doesn't necessarily mean that he could, right? This partnership required Abram's obedience, and it's the same with us. God's partnership with us requires obedience. He can only use a person that is willing to do what he says. Simple, right? And thankfully, Abram was, was able to do what God invited him to do. Let's pick up in verse 6. So Abram traveled through the land of Canaan as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he went on toward the hills east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the east and Ai, or with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abram set out and continued toward the Negev. 
So here, here we see God, what, what happens here, God kind of specifies this covenant. He, he tells Abram, you know, he'll, he'll make him a great nation. And here he shows him the, the land that his offspring would receive as a part of this covenant. And, and what does Abram do? He builds an altar. And then he, he goes, travels a little bit, goes east of Bethel. Um, and he calls on the name of the Lord and he builds another altar. And that's the thing I really want to talk about in this section is, is this fact that Abram is, is calling on the name of the Lord and building, he builds two altars. And, and what that shows me, and I'll explain why, is that Abram is deciding here in Genesis 12, 6 through 8. He's deciding, this is my God. This is the God that I'm going to worship. This is the God I'm going to partner with. This is my God. Altars are, are an important thing that we see happen throughout the, the Old Testament. People building altars. We've only seen this happen one other time. And it's Noah. I don't know if you remember uh, a few weeks back when we were talking about Noah. Noah gets off the ark. First thing he does, he builds an altar. And then God creates a covenant with him. And, and what we see through the Old Testament is that altars are associated with covenants. Here in Genesis 12, God is making a covenant with Abram. And what does he do? He builds an altar. In the next chapter, Genesis 13, God reminds Abram of the, the Genesis 12 covenant that he makes with him. And, and what does Abram do? He builds an altar. And then he builds one other altar in Genesis 22. That's, that's when God asks him to sacrifice his son. And he doesn't actually sacrifice his son Isaac, but uh, God, God is testing him to see, you know, how far are you willing to go in your obedience to me? And he builds an altar, right? And that's not a, there's not a covenant being established there, but it's, a, it's prophetically pointing to the covenant God would make with us when his son Jesus died on the cross with us. And, and as you continue to read in Genesis, a handful of times people will build an altar. And so I, I figured it'd be worth spending a little bit of time on. So that word altar, what is, what is an altar, right? An altar is where sacrifices were made. The word altar is actually derived from the Hebrew word that means to slaughter. Altars were associated with sacrifices. That's where sacrifices were performed. It doesn't say it here in Genesis 12, but Abram almost certainly made sacrifices on these two altars that he would build. And altars are also, they kind of represent like a, a thin place. And, and what I mean by that is when like something really significant happens, whether it's an angel showing up or God speaking to a person or something miraculous happening, that a lot of times is the setting of, of where an altar would be built. Altars are, are almost like this thin place between the natural world and like the supernatural, right? When God becomes close and his kingdom becomes close, um, someone would build an altar and it'd, be, it'd serve as like this place of remembrance to remember what it was that God had said or done. And altars, to sum all that up, altars, more than anything, they were a symbol of worship. They were built and used to worship gods. And not just God, right? People were building altars all through the Old Testament. But in constructing an altar to Yahweh, the God that had been speaking to him, what Abram is saying is, you are my God, and I'm going to worship you. I'm going to sacrifice to you. I want to partner with you. You are my God. So wrapping up the, the story, Abram trusted God, he obeyed God, and he worshiped God. That's what I see from Abram in Genesis 12. He trusted God, obeyed God, and worshiped God. And this made him really good partnership material for God. So I have a question. 
Are you? Are you good partnership material for God? It's a question I want to ask you, and I want you to ask yourself that right now. Are you, Christian, are you good partnership material for the God who made you? And being good partnership material for God, it does not mean that you need to know a lot. It doesn't mean you need to be articulate. It doesn't mean you need to be talented or sinless. Good partnership material for God is a man or a woman that trusts him, obeys him, and worships him. That's it. That's all Abram did. Abram trusted him, he obeyed him, and he worshiped him. And because of that, Abram was the the perfect choice of a man to partner with God. And so I want to make this really practical. I want to kind of tie everything together and aim it right at your life, okay? I want to convict you guys. I want to, I want to take some of what we've talked about from Abram. And um, yeah, I want to talk about the ingredients of, of what partnering with God really looks like. And so first and foremost, partnering with God looks like trust. Like I said with Abram, you know, we don't know what he was doing pre-Genesis 12 or how long he had been in that land he was in. We, we don't know. We don't know what, what plans Abram had in his life. But what we do know is that God showed up, he interrupted him, and he offered him a new plan. And that's exactly what God does with us. He invites us into to what he is doing. But being part of what he's doing means stepping out of what we're doing. It means letting go of whatever it is we're holding on to and taking hold of what it is he's inviting us into. And that requires a lot of trust, right? Partnering with God requires a lot of trust. Jesus' disciples and, and the people that followed him, they were faced with a, a really similar opportunity to what we see Abraham is, is faced with here in Genesis 12. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus calls the crowd to him with his disciples, and he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. If you want to come after me, you have to let go of all the stuff you're doing over here and holding on to, your priorities, all, all this stuff, and you need to follow me. Where? Where, where might you ask? Where are we following you? You'll find out. <laughs> Abram, like, where am I going? You're, you're calling me to this, this new place. Where am I going? The land that I will show you. You'll find out. That requires so much trust. When it comes to partnering with God, you, you might have no idea where he's going or what he's doing or, or what the outcome of the thing that he's asking you to do might be, but that's the beauty of it. We get to partner with and trust God, the God who made us. We get to trust him. That's, that's a privilege and an honor. And it's, it's scary, definitely. Oh my gosh, like I, I think of my life and some of the things that God has asked me to do that I don't want to do, they're uncomfortable, they require sacrifice, they don't make sense to me. And there's a million other things I'd rather do. But God told me to do it. And I'm like, oh, gosh, okay, sure. And, and I, trust me, I've failed way more times than I've succeeded. Way more times I've not said yes and I've been disobedient. But, but I, I can just tell you from my life, when I have said yes to the things that God has invited me into, the outcome has been awesome. Always. The outcome is awesome. God wants to invite us into plans that are so much better than yours. They are so much better than yours. He knows everything. He knows you. He knows your passions. He knows what you want to do with your life. But the plans that he would invite you into are so, I promise you, they're so much better than your plans. But they're, they're going to be scary. They're going to be hard. 
I was reading Psalm 56. I'd never noticed this verse before, but I love it. And it's such a good verse to memorize. Memorize this verse, okay? When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's so good. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Partnering with God requires that we trust him, even if it's scary and even if it doesn't make sense. Next thing, partnership with God. What what does it require? Partnering with God requires a covenant promise. And I talked to you kind of extensively about the covenant promise God made with Abram. Believe it or not, things have changed a little bit since Abram's time. And God has created a much better covenant for us than the one he made with Abram. And he invites us into this covenant that's different than the one he made with Abram. But it is so much better. And I, I alluded to it a little bit already when I was talking about Jesus. But, but the gist of this new covenant promise that we have access to is I gave my only son to, to die and cover your sin. And if you believe in what he did, I'll make you 100% righteous. I'll put my spirit in you and I'll give you eternal life. And I'll use you to fill the earth with my glory. That's, that's the gist of this new covenant promise God is inviting us to step into. And uh, the intention, though, with this promise and this, this covenant, it's the same, right? The, the, the way that the covenant promise with Abram ended was, I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing to the nations around you, to the people around you. The intention, God's intention with this new covenant he offers us through Jesus, it's the same. God wants to bless you so that he can bless people through you, right? He wants to put his spirit in you so that you can go and represent him to the people in your life. He wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. That's the, that's the covenant we have access to. In Acts 1, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to do what? To be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God's saying, I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can be a witness, so that you can tell people about what you've seen and learned from me, so that you can bless the nations of the earth. That's God's heart. It's never changed from Abram to now. He's a God who wants to bless people, but he wants to partner with you to do that. It's awesome. I see that again in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you're the light of the world. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people put a lamp, nor do people light a lamp and put under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. God wants to, to make you a light so that you can be a light for other people, right? God wants to bless you so you can bless the people around you. And when we enter into this covenant by believing and putting our faith in Jesus, that's what we get to do. That's why we're here. It's to, to bless people, to love people. Can't get my iPad to change slides. There we go. Okay. Um, okay, next thing. What, what's, what, what are the ingredients to, to partnership with God? It requires trust. It requires a covenant. Next, it requires obedience. It requires obedience. Abram, what did Abram do? So Abram went, as the Lord said, right? Abram didn't just like, oh, that sounds nice. Yeah, sure, I want that covenant. And then he just stayed where he's at. No, he, he knew that he had to get up and go. He had to do the thing that God told him to do. So partnering with God requires obedience. He had to do something, right? His trust led to action. His trust led to action. And if we really trust God, 
it will lead to action. It will lead to obedience. It will look like us doing the things that he's asked us to do in Scripture through the maybe a, a word from the Holy Spirit. It'll look like us saying, yes, okay, sure. Even if it doesn't make sense, I'll, I'll actually do it. Faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. I'm going to read a scripture from James 2. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it doesn't have works, is dead. Now, that's a scripture people get confused about, and they're like, does that mean we got to do a bunch of stuff to get saved? No, the Bible is so clear. By grace, you're saved through faith. But the reality is that true faith is going to produce action. True faith will look like works. It will look like you aligning the, the actions of your life with the things that God is, is asking you to do. And if it doesn't, it means it's fraudulent faith, Right? If, if your faith doesn't produce action, it means it's not real faith. You know, I, I think that we, we need to, to understand that God is not, God does not judge people on their intentions. He judge, judges people on their actions. I think a lot of us, like we, we see inside of ourselves, and we're like, we, we, we think that we have really good intentions. And because we have really good intentions, God's like, yeah, good job. Like, you're, you're doing great. But God doesn't just, he doesn't judge our intentions. He judges our actions. Like imagine, you know, maybe I've used this in a sermon before. Imagine I go to the store and I'm, I'm thinking about my wife, Ashley, and I see some pretty flowers and I'm like, I check how much they cost. And I'm like, I should really buy these flowers for her. And I come home and I'm like, Ashley, I saw these really pretty flowers. They made me think of you. They were eight bucks. And, you know, I, I, they, I think, they, I thought you would just love these flowers. And she's like, where are the flowers? I'm like, I didn't buy them. I just, I wanted to though. I thought about it. It's like, well, what? that means nothing. You know, intention with no action means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. And I, I think it's the same with God. Like, I, I, I trust a lot of us, myself included. We have really good intentions when it comes to our faith. Like, we really, we want to partner with God. We want to do the hard things he asks us to do. We want to cultivate spiritual disciplines in our life and build a relationship with scripture and pray and fast and like we want to look like Jesus. But I think a lot of times there's a huge disconnect between, between our intentions and our actions. And our faith is what saves us. Don't, don't put words in my mouth. Like hear what I'm saying to you. You're saved by grace through faith, but fa real faith produces action. And partnering with God, it requires action. It requires our obedience. So I just want to ask you the question, what's God asking you to do? Ask yourself that. If you have a journal, write it down. What's he asking you to do? What is it? Think about it. Is there a thing he's been asking you to do for, for months or years? And you're just like, no, nah, that's too hard. What's he asking you to do? Partnering with God. If you're hearing me talk and you're like, man, I, I, wanna, I feel inspired. I want to partner with God. Partnering with God looks like him obeying whatever's in your mind right now. It looks like you obeying the thing that he's asking you to do. And the outcome is always so good. Like when we obey God, even if it doesn't make sense, the outcome is so much better than if we don't. I promise. Next thing, partnership with God requires worship. 
I said a minute ago, Abram trusted God, he obeyed God, and he worshiped God. Abram, he, you know, he built these altars. And in building those altars, Abram is saying, you're my God, you're the one that I'm going to worship, you're the one that I want. I'm not going to build altars to the other God, I'm building an altar to you, the one true living God. And, and same for us, partnering with God, it requires worship. And, and by worship, I'm not just saying like what we did a few minutes ago and what we're going to do here soon, musically worshiping, that's amazing. But what I mean by worship like Romans, Romans 12, 1 through 2, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your spiritual worship. When I talk about worship, I'm talking about laying our life down, like making that decision that, that you are my God. You are who I'm going to worship. You're the one that I'm going to be devoted to and committed to. And you know, we don't, I, I doubt any of us have built an altar out of rocks and dirt and stuff like Abram did in Genesis 12. But metaphorically, I think we all build an altar to something with our life. Like we all, we all worship something. We all make sacrifices for something. Maybe it's a career or, or, I don't know, a relationship or success. I don't know. But we all, we all build an altar to something with our life. And partnership with God looks like letting your life be an altar that's built to him. It looks like worship. John 4, 23, Jesus, this is when he's interacting with the woman at the well. He says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is seeking such people to worship him. I love that. God is looking for worshipers. He's, God is searching. Like, who's it going to be? Who, who? Like, he's searching for people that are willing to lay their life down as, as an act of worship to him. And I'm not talking about dying or anything like that. I'm just saying like letting go of your life, obeying that call, Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. When we say yes to that, that's worship. He's looking for, for people that are all in, that are fully committed, lives laid down. And that's what partnering with him requires. It requires worship. And I have one more, one more point. I didn't really talk about this one um, because there wasn't a good example of it in Genesis 12, but we will, trust me, we will see plenty of good examples uh, from the life of Abram. But partnering with God doesn't mean, it doesn't mean you need to be perfect. You know, if you've made mistakes, you are the perfect person to partner with God. If you have failed miserably, if you're like, even like, man, the body image and eating disorders and sexual sin. and It's like if you're like, man, my life is full of that stuff. Great. You're the perfect person to partner with God. If you've failed, great. You're the perfect person to partner with God. Partnership with God does not mean you need to be perfect. We will see plenty of Abram's failures. He made mistakes. He was so far from perfect. But, but notice, God didn't choose Abram because he didn't make a bunch of mistakes. He chose Abram because he trusted him, obeyed him, and worshiped him. And that's the same with us, guys. You're going to mess up. You probably already have. I know I have. Great. That means we are excellent partnership material for God. Maybe you're messing up right now. Maybe you're, you're tolerating sin in your life. Back to the obedience thing. Obey him. You know, flee from your sin. But even if there's sin in your life right now, you are good partnership material for God. He loves you and he wants to partner with you to bring his kingdom to the earth. Worship team, you can come up. So if you are listening to me today and you're like, man, I want this. I want this God that's all about partnership. I want to partner with him. Awesome. 
I gave you the ingredients. Trust them, obey him, and worship him. And I just have a question. Like, what, what is your life going to be about? It's so cool that God gives us free will, and we get to just decide what it is our life is about. What's, what is your life going to be about? Each of us are either going to partner with the God of the universe, or we're going to do something else. <laughs> We're either going to partner with him or we're going to do something else. And there's a right choice in those two options. Jesus, you know, in John 10, he, he said, I came that they may have life and life abundantly. The, the, the thing that I've noticed in my life is, is that the more I step into this partnership with him, the more I trust him and obey him and worship him, the more that I lay my life down as a sacrifice to him, the more abundant my life becomes. And I'm not saying the easier my life becomes. God asks us to do hard things, but life becomes abundant when we partner with him. And I want you guys to have an abundant life. You know, I, I want you to, to steward your life well by, by entrusting it to him. It's the, it's the best option on the table. The God of the universe wants to partner with you, even though you've made mistakes. And there's probably better options out there. He wants to partner with you to bring his kingdom here. And so I just like plead with you, do that. Please do that. And if you are, are listening to me today and, and you're like, I don't know, I, I don't even have a relationship with this God. Well, today's the day, right? All it requires to be in relationship with Jesus is it's a choice. It's a choice. I, I believe you and I'm gonna follow you. That's it. And if you want to make that choice, we're going to have some people around the room with prayer lanyards on. Go talk to one of them. If you don't know Jesus and you want to today, if you want to step into that covenant because he shed his blood for you to make you righteous, do that today. It's, it, the implications are eternal. And if, if you're listening and you're, you're convicted and you're like, man, I am, I am not trusting God at all or I am not obeying him. There are things that he's told me to do and I have so dropped the ball. Or maybe you're like, worship? I don't, my life is definitely not worship to him. Talk to someone. Go get prayer, okay? I'm gonna pray for us right now. Jesus, you uh, are worthy of our lives. That call to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow you, you, you are so worth it. You are better, you're better than any other option. You are. You are better than a relationship with, with a, a human. You're better than, you are better than having a family. Like even these awesome gifts that you give us, let them not be a thing that distracts us from the giver who's you. You're better than that. You're better than success. You're better than having a big number in our bank account. You're better than us having the material stuff that we want. You are, you are the treasure, Jesus. And Father, I pray that we as a church would just treasure you. I pray that as individuals, we would treasure you and we would say yes to this invitation of partnership because there is nothing better. There is nothing better. And there are awesome things that you want to partner with people in this room with to do awesome things. God, we want to 
obey you. Like we want, we want that. We, we see that that's the best option. And so God, whatever's preventing us from partnering with you, I pray that you'd reveal it to us and expose it this morning. And we would give it to you as a sacrifice. Pray that we would let you be our God and that we'd be your people and that we would partner with you.